This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Trouble Gum by Therapy. Are they, is he just trying to be shocking? Is it forced? Is it contrived? The music, I don't necessarily think that the music's all that challenging. Jesus without the suffering. But I don't know if you actually liked it. I guess. Like I, 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 don't know if, I, don't, I don't know if I actually liked it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again my co-host mr jason ziak jay uh we're recording this mid-july but it won't be out until uh probably beginning of august so let me ask you how did you like the dark knight rises <laughs> it was really good it was it was really dark and i think it um it ended the the trilogy really well excellent me too I thought it was epic, and yet... I can't believe they killed Batman at the end, though. <laughs> that was I crazy. Can't, I can't believe that they had the engineer come out and explain everything, uh, that the whole universe was in a computer. That was really shocking. Yeah, yeah I don't think it's going to end up like the, the awful Matrix trilogy. So we have a uh, transitioning, oh, so gracefully, we have a uh, listener suggestion this week jay we're back to our listener suggestions and uh, we're gonna knock a bunch of them out this one's been on the on the books for a while we have to clear the books out you know we try to every year you gotta you gotta get through your uh pluses and minuses throughout the year and we're, we're knocking them out so we're we have an even ledger at the end of the year this one was uh suggested by uh andrew makula i think i'm pronouncing that correctly he suggested that we check out some therapy now, I'm saying it that way. It's just therapy, but then there's a question mark at the end, which we'll get to why there's a question mark at the end of the band's name. But prior to Andrew suggesting we check out some therapy, which sounds like a um, <laughs> like we have a mental problem, uh, did you, have you ever listened to therapy before this, Jay? You had sent, Didn't you send some stuff previously when we uh, started the show, uh, the podcast about a year ago? I think you. this is one of the bands that you... We're poking around and trying to see what they're about, and I think at that time I listened to some stuff here and there, but nothing really intently. Yeah, I think I've I had sampled some stuff, and I might have floated a few MP3s your way at that time, saying, "Hey, have you ever heard this band?" And I think the the way I found them was the Manic Street Preachers uh, posted on their website that they were big fans of a couple albums that had come out recently, and I was like, "I've never heard of this band," and I started seeing their album covers, and I was like, "I kind of remember that album cover." but I never really listened to them. And then once we got the suggestion, I was like, well, I'm not going to listen to any of this stuff until we get around to actually reviewing. So I've, I've listened to their stuff from the 2000s and forward, but I haven't listened to their 90s stuff until we got into this record. So for, I guess, both of us, this is pretty much a new experience in terms of intently sitting down and listening to some therapy, which, again, sounds like we're in some sort of a self-help class or something like that, but... That question mark's really great with you. It is. It's it's messing with me. It's, um, it's playing my games. Why don't we just uh, skip the chatter? Let's just get into to, uh, the history of the band. History of the band. So, Jay, uh, where do you think therapy is from? We haven't played this game in a while. 
Uh, for some reason, I thought they were English, but they don't sound, at least vocally, I don't hear any signs of that. So I don't know. New York? I have no idea. No, you're, you're close with the with the original pick. Um, they formed in 1989 in Larne, Northern Ireland by hmm. guitarist Andy Carnes and drummer vocalist, or guitarist vocalist Andy Carnes and drummer vocalist Fife Ewing. Uh, they hmm. practiced and recorded a demo together and then recruited Michael McKeegan on bass and they released their first single called Metal Abstract in July of 1990. Now, the way that the band got their name was they were making the, the album artwork, and in order to properly space the wording, they used a an extra character, which was the question mark, to get the proper spacing, and they were going to remove the question mark, but when it got pressed, they forgot to, so the question mark got left. So the question mark was an accident. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, 30 years later, or 20 years later, they, 24 years later, they are uh, still dealing with that accident. So the first album actually came out in uh, July of 91 on Ouija Records called Baby Teeth. That was followed by a six-song EP called Pleasure Death, released six months later in January of 92 on the same label. The band signed to A&M Records... And released their third album, Nurse, in October of 92. In 1993, they released two EPs and followed that up in 1994 with the album we're going to review. The first release for on a full length for AM, and that was Trouble Gum. In uh, the following year, June of 95, they released their fifth album, Infernal Love, also on AM. In January of 96, uh, drummer Fife Ewing quit, and he was replaced by Graham Hopkins. And they also added Martin McCarrick as a full-time member on cello, vocals, and piano. Uh, he had played on the Trouble Gum album, but only on a select few songs. So he, this was him joining the band. They became a four-piece at this point. The sixth album, Semi-Detached, was released in March of 98 on AM. And they left AM at that point signed to Arc 21 Records, and in October of 99 released their seventh album, Suicide Pact, You First. In uh, September of 2001, they replaced, or they re, uh, released their eighth album, Shameless. At that point, Hopkins was replaced on drums by Neil Cooper. They left Arc 21 Records, and in May of 2003, released High Anxiety, their ninth album on Spitfire Records. At that point, uh, Martin McCarrick left the band. They were went back down to a three-piece. In September of 2004, they released their 10th album, Never Apologize, Never Explain, again on Spitfire. In April of 2006, they released their 11th album, One Cure Fits All, on Spitfire. They left Spitfire and signed to Demolition Records, where they released the album Crooked Timber, their 12th, uh, in March of 2009. And... Just this year, in February, they released their 13th album, A Brief Crack of Light, on Blast Records. And that is the history of the band. Obviously, that was a lot of stuff to cover, so I didn't get into, you know, what charted and where stuff was popular and whatnot, just trying to get through all the releases. And that's it for the history of the band. If 
you would like to sponsor the history of the band, please visit our website, digmeoutpodcast.com. Throw us a few bucks, make a donation, and you will be the sponsor of Dig Me Out Podcast or buy a t-shirt. Add to your wardrobe. So, Jay, we did get some Facebook feedback for this. We got a lot of feedback for therapy. People were excited that we were doing this album. We, we didn't even just get Facebook feedback. We got Twitter feedback. Lots of people. Yeah, I thought that was crazy. In. Yeah. So we got a lot of people of who the, liked. Of all the bands. Yeah, I know. This is, I mean, especially because this band really didn't make a dent in the U.S. Uh, except for, I guess, you know, hardcore music fans. Trevor Meehan on our Facebook page said, I saw Therapy do Trouble Gum from start to finish in Dublin last year. I'm guessing that's 2011. Superb show. Hmm. Old friend of the show, Dimitri Dumitri, chimed in. Therapy was quite big in Europe. The single, this single, which we posted the video for Nowhere, was a hit in France, and I was totally hooked on this song. Nowhere, the CD single had four songs. In Europe at the time, either you had CD singles inside a cardboard cover just with just two songs, like cause singles used to have, or maxi singles with more tracks, but they were more expensive, obviously. Nowhere came out with four tracks on it for the price of two in cardboard, like a regular single. It was a nice touch. I remember the programming the song 20 times and then pushing the repeat button. For real. <laughs> That's awesome. Chip Midnight also chimed in. Again, friend of the show, Chip Midnight. I can never quite figure out what type of audience therapy was aiming for. They weren't really a metal band. They weren't really a punk band. They were, I guess, an alt-rock band when you take a look at the alt-rock landscape at the time of this release. Yet I'm pretty sure they were mentioned in the same metal magazines I was reading at the time. And there was a certain punk feel to some of the songs. So that is... I I had to condense because both Dimitri and Chip wrote a lot. So I'm condensing down their comments. So they bring up some interesting stuff that we can talk about. Mm-hmm. on this record uh that there's definitely a cross-section of influences i guess you could say the punk metal the alt rock um jay what was your impression in terms of what you were hearing with this band was it uh confusing or did you like the the uh, mix of various styles that therapy was bringing to the table i think on the same page as chip oh it's tough i mean it was, um, I guess I'd have to go on the side of confusing from a production standpoint. I think from a songwriting standpoint, you know, the stuff's fairly consistent. You know, there's some variety there and some variation. But the way that the it's presented, the, the sound of the band is so specific that sometimes it works for the, for, you know, the sort of the, the type of song it is. And other times it doesn't. So it really makes them pivot to being kind of helmet sounding and like really metal sounding, um, especially if they do like a tuned down riff. And it's hard to you know, hard to associate anything else. You know, with sort of you hear that you, you, you automatically want to classify them as a metal band. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the other material comes across. I think when when the two match up, okay, it comes across more like um, I'd say like Hot Water Music or maybe even like The Offspring, where it's like. There's a distant punk rock element to it. It's melodic. It's, you know, high energy, good musicianship, crisp, really crisp sounding. You know, everything's really tight, fairly simple in terms of, you know, parts and stuff. You know, it kind of reminds me of those bands uh, from the the later 90s and mid 90s. And even Mm -hmm. there's some, some other punk bands I think we've talked about in the past that sort of have that sound. They have like kind of a 
80s metal guitar tone, but they play power chords and, you know, have a really, you know, melodic sensibility and some hooks, but maybe the vocal has sort of a punk attitude to it. And then the drum beats are, you know, faster punk type beats. There's some times on, on this record when the tone of the band and that type of songwriting come together and it works out pretty well. So I think, you know, Screamager is sort of like that. Nowhere is sort of like that. And those are songs that were singles and sound like they were fairly successful in, in England. help but think when i got my my head around you know that and sort of the american bands they sound like wondering if those bands were successful in england and if not in europe you know was this band successful instead does that make sense so like why we were getting while we were getting the offspring was europe getting this at the same time kind of around the same ballpark right I'm curious to dig into the later catalog for sure. I mean, they're definitely talented. I think there's some legitimate hooks here. Um, I just think it's it's buried behind a lot of, um, you know, kind of metal leanings, I guess, or in bad, pro- I don't want to say bad production, because, I mean, it's it sounds fine. Like, you can hear all the instruments, and it's loud, and it's not muffled, but it's so, like, sterile and... I don't know, metallic sounding. Like the snare drum is very high and I knew you would talk about the snare drum. You know, and the guitars are super crunchy and like they don't ever vary. There's no like clean tone or different kind of variation in it and you know, it's kind of void of personality um the production is. So well, I so, what, so you're, what, what, you're, you you don't like the record is what you're saying or you're not impressed by it? We're not there yet. Okay. Jesus well, Christ. Well, it's interesting that you say... It reminds it, me of... Let me, let, me, let me give you a segue. Okay. It reminds me of the early... It's funny you brought up the Manic Street Preachers at the beginning of this. It reminds me of the early Manic Street Preachers stuff. In that, well, I just heard... I just listened to you talk for 10 minutes, and I don't know if you even like the record. <laughs> I just heard you, like, talk about the, um, the aspects of the production and, like the leanings of the songwriting but i don't know if you actually liked it i guess like, I, I, I don't to... know if i don't i don't know if i actually liked it there's parts okay. of it i like and there's other parts of it that i find i don't it, they don't really do anything for me okay well i really <laughs> did i really liked the record and i'll, okay. I'll tell you the thing that you mentioned about the production not having a personality I think that's interesting because I think what really saves this band is the is the personality of Andy Carms I think that one of the things that we talk about all the times is how songwriters or singers in particular don't have either anything to say or the lyrics are kind of boring or they're they're cliche they use fairly 
typical rhymes and you know they sing about the same things they use the same vocal patterns and cadences and stuff like that and i think that andy Carnes is like the secret weapon with his vocal because yeah the music is i mean all the songs are between like three minutes and four minutes they're all based around chord, pretty standard you know hard rock port chord progressions there's nothing anything that's going to be like mind-blowing but he brings like a whip smart sarcastic sardonic lyrical bent to almost all these songs that like every time i would listen to them i'd be like man that's a really cool line if i can remember a line from a song whether it's the chorus or the opening line that sticks in my brain like then i know that the guy's doing something right and i think that he's the one thing not that the band is bad they're just you know they're tight and he's a good guitar player he play he throws off some cool leads here and there but it's not that sort of band. They're not trying to be showy, I don't think, with any of the playing. They're trying to be pretty economical. But like, when he says a line like in um, track 12, Femtex, the opening line of that song is Masturbation Saved My Life. And it's just, I like, I hear that line and I'm just like, what the fuck is he singing about? This is hilarious. Like, who says that? Yeah. Sorry for yeah. the F-bomb, folks. Sorry for the F-bomb. But that, that, like, <laughs> I, I think that this band yeah, is a I str- lot. I struggle with those kind of lyrics, though. Like, I don't know. It's kind of like Manic Street Preacher lyrics. That's why I brought that band up. It's and like, that's, I think, is a fair comparison. There's no metaphors. It's all like <laughs> brutally straightforward to the point of, um, you know, you're uncomfortable at times and uh, not just uncomfortable, but sometimes I feel like, you know, are the, is he just trying to be shocking? Is it forced? Is it contrived? I think there's other times where it comes across as being very real. Um, again, that's why I've, I'm sort of in the middle on the record so far in terms of trying to figure out if it works for me or not there's certain parts of it that really do and there's certain like like you're going through the lyrics i agree i think they're really there's definitely personality here i will give them that and they're definitely an original band um they're certainly not um derivative um, no. of much this was, this was released as the same in the same year uh like six months apart from the man street preachers the holy bible now it's not as bleak and desolate as that album is, but there is a sterility to that, to the Holy Bible album in the production 
that they don't quite approach, but it is pretty dry. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and I and like I said, those James Dean Bradfield and and Nicky Wire have mentioned, especially James Dean Bradfield is is a fan of Andy Carn's guitar playing. He call, I think he called him like the best metal guitarist he's ever heard. Obviously, we haven't listened. They have thirteen albums, and we we're, we're sampling one, so we can't make a full judgment on on what his guitar playing is. There are elements to his guitar playing that reminded me of punk. It's three chords. There's elements that reminded me of like um, Metallica's st- guitar playing or J- James Hetfield. And there's a part on Turn that it sounds like a lot like Queensrÿche. I think it's the bridge <laughs> between the tone and the party he's playing. I'm like, holy crap! This kid. If you told me, if you turned this on and told me it was a Queensrÿche song, even the production, I would totally have believed you. And then there were times where I was hearing like it sounded like Brian Futter from Catherine Wheel, and especially in the Happy Days era of Catherine Wheel, where it was a little bit of touch of shoegaze, but yep. pretty much just a, like a metal sound to it. I think one of the interesting aspects, I think this band is drawing from a lot deeper well than they probably give off, and I think that the the tip in that is that they cover Joy Division. Track ten, isolation, is a Joy Division song. Wow, and they do a funny. pretty, they do a pretty cool version of it. I didn't know that was a Joy Division song, and I'm listening to it. And I'm like, "Wow, he sounds a lot like the guy from Interpol." <laughs> <laughs> so that's kudos funny. To them. <laughs> I don't know. I I really appreciate this, and I, I put this in like the Curb Dog arena in terms of it's heavy, but it's not. 
I don't get worn out by it. And I think it's because the songs are concise. Like, I didn't get worn out by Curb Dog. But I don't think, and I think Curb Dog was even a little bit more. There were like four or five songs in the middle of that album. You're like, this is clearly Helmet influenced. Whereas I feel yeah. like there's a yeah. little bit less of that. And there's a little yeah. bit more of a, of a punk background to what's going on here. Yeah, when they uh, when they go into the the down tune riffs is when I start to lose interest. Luckily, they don't do it often on this album. They do it maybe right. three times. Um, and you're right, the songs are concise. They don't fall into a lot of the trappings of the other records we've we've reviewed. That you know they just get long, or they have parts that are just unnecessary or indulgent. There's no tracks on this that are indulgent or just them screwing around the studio. It's actually sequenced really well. I noticed mm-hmm. that like it carried from one song to the next. Um, impressively well considering like the production quality and the style of the music and if you told me there were 14 songs yeah, I guess if, if I sampled just a, you know bits and parts of this you told me hey there's 14 more of these songs I would think wow I'm going to be exhausted by the end of this because there's just a lot it, it's all full volume all the time <laughs> you know and it's all like pretty bright and uh, I, I would have figured I'd be exhausted but I really wasn't. I think, again, I, I think it's more of, um, I think that's a credit to his songwriting ability. Mm-hmm. And uh, even the vocal, um, which is interesting because I think it, are you saying they're two singers? Because there are times the voices sound very different. No, it's that... Andy Carnes is singing the lead vocal, I believe, on every song. And I think that any of the harmonies are the drummer Fife yeah. Ewing. I, I'm assuming I'm saying a... that's right. It's, it's F-Y-F-E. I can't imagine it's pronounced any other way than Fife, but I'm sure I'll get corrected on that. The uh, but he, but he has um, I guess he's one of those singers that kind of takes on different characters. Um, so he'll mm-hmm. kind of do things that are like, you know, really quiet or almost sounds like another voice, or you know, he'll he'll do voices, I guess. Which in the course of an album can help quite a bit and just keep things interesting, keep things so you don't get bored or you know, fight on somebody's voice. Uh, another thing i picked up on which is a nice songwriting trick to familiarize the listener with the hook of the song is in a lot of these songs even though they're short a lot of the times they'll get to the chorus within the first like 30 to 40 seconds of the song but they'll Mm -hmm. only play it once and they'll do it like and it'll be like two measures or or a single measure that they'll play and Mm. then they'll go back to the chorus or back to the verse and then they'll double or triple the chorus the next time but they're always getting to the chorus really fast in a lot of these songs yeah um, even if it's not with a vocal sometimes they'll get to the chorus and they'll just play it instrumentally for a for one measure i really like when bands especially if you're you know this band if you're not into metal and punk can be a little punishing because they're heavy and it's driving at you you need to provide some melody to counter balance that and they're always getting to the most melodic point of the song very quickly so i thought that mm-hmm. was a really good and that probably comes from the punk background because you know in a lot of ways when you think about punk you're thinking they're, they're really catchy choruses at least when i think of punk i'm thinking of like the ramones um and bands like that even this oh yeah sex pistols had catchy choruses but they got yeah. to them fast i think track two is uh, screamager is very ramones-esque yeah, and I love that chorus. I've got nothing to do but hang around and get screwed up on you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a totally like '90s chorus, but yeah. it's super catchy and it stays in your brain. 
for a long time. God, uh, track three, Hellbelly, the chorus is Jesus without the suffering, and it's <laughs> super catchy. And you're like singing it, Jesus without the suffering. <laughs> like, what am I singing? I know. What does That's that mean? That's what I'm talking about, personality. Like, you don't even have to necessarily yeah. make sense with what you're singing, but if you deliver it in a way that's melodic and has some personality behind it, yeah, they, they become catchy choruses. I mean, that's, again, that's one of the elements of manic, the manics, so. Yeah, exactly. Parallels here. Yeah, they're, they're famous for cramming, you know, a ton of words into their songs, but somehow James Dean Bradfield is able to turn a melodic... Um, chorus out of them mm-hmm. i wanted to mention uh track 13 unrequited this is the song in which they introduce uh martin uh, mccarrick yeah and that's where that's where the cello comes in yeah. i thought that was a nice addition a lot of bands could overplay that they could overproduce it they could make the cello too loud they could bring in a whole string section but they bring in just the one cello and it does a really nice job of adding a little more depth to the song. I almost wish they had done that a little bit more in some of the other tunes. Just add like one little instrument here or there. They had the female vocal on um, Lunacy Booth. Mm-hmm. And that works. And again, there's some religious aspects to that song. I didn't get in deep into the lyrics in terms of reading every single line of every single song, but he has some real winners that kept bouncing around in my head. But yeah, I do wish I think, they had done a little bit more in the production-wise with that sort of stuff. Well, what I think this album does is that you know, the sign of a good album is that you want to listen to it over and over again and, and learn more about it, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to learn more musically about this band, I don't think. You know, After you've listened to it maybe a handful of times, you've pretty much heard musically everything that's going on on this record there's nothing new is going to kind of come out to you or reveal itself to you or some new texture or something but lyrically i think that will happen as you you know sort of pick up more lines and dive in deeper and listen think about what he's talking about and put it against the music and i think that's where the the you know the how it how it becomes more and more interesting with time and and thank god they have that because otherwise (laughs) they'd be in trouble um and and they've done a They've done a couple things, you know, just a couple key things like that on here that I is is one of the reasons why I was sort of in the middle is that had they not done them, it would have, you know, went the other way and it would have been a definite no for me. Like track 13, Unrequited with the cello, you know, that song doesn't really have a chorus. Now, a lot of the other songs we just talked about, they have really catchy choruses. Mm-hmm. That's, that's track 13 on the album. You know, I'm... <laughs> The songs are short, but still, you know, we're at 13 already. And I get to a song that doesn't have a chorus. Well, they save it by introducing the cello there. So yeah, now you've got something different, a different layer, uh, you know, a really organic instrument, which you don't hear much on the album, you know, kind of perks up your ears and it sort of gives you something new when you think you've heard it all from the record. So 
they've done a couple clever things like that, either lyrically or, or musically um, throughout the record that, that keeps pulling you through and keeps giving you something new. So it was kind of, uh, if it was intentional, it was pretty brilliant. So what's your rating on this? Are you at a, uh, a full album, an EP, or a single? I have six songs marked. You know, I, I don't know that there needs to be 14. I think it's something that, um, you know, the more I listen to it, like I said, and get into lyrics and sort of get over the shock of some of the <laughs> hearing things initially the first time and diving deeper with that, I'll like it more and more. So I, I, I think it's a, I'll give it album. I, I think there's enough here to from a songwriting standpoint to, you know, to keep me interested in, in it. And honestly, a lot of these songs, if they come up, you know, sort of a random play, I won't change them. You know, I'll listen to them. They're, they're short enough and they're well written that, you know, They'll, they'll definitely uh, I'll rock out to him for sure. That's good to hear. I'm at an album too. Uh, I'm at a couple more songs. I liked about 10. And not to say that the other four were bad. I just, those 10 were my favorite. And I would say that if you listen to the first three songs, Knives, Screamager, and Hellbelly, and you don't like the album, you're just, you just put it, just turn it off. You're done. Because those, those three songs set up the album, I think, in terms of he changes his vocal style on each of those songs. They each show off a little bit different influence of the band from punk to metal. And I, I, right up front, those are the, I don't know if those are the best three songs, but they definitely show off everything that the band does and everything that he does vocally. So uh, I think we're on the same page. I'm glad I was worried when we started this. I thought you were going to say, yeah, I like two songs, but <laughs> I, I think I, I think I, uh, I think I won you it's, over. It's, I mean, they're kind of a challenging band. Um, so, which is weird because they're so, it's not that the music, I don't necessarily think that the music's all that challenging, but it's, it's the sound of it. Yeah. I mean, it's abrasive. It, it can be abrasive. And like it's I funny said, to call it, this abrasive and then go listen to something like the Blood Brothers or uh, Kyle Sia. <laughs> and oh, listen to some sc- like that to me is, yeah, where people would go, that's abrasive. Yeah, if you played this for your your wife, she would say it was abrasive. Uh, yeah, agreed. <laughs> there's different uh, there's different bars here. Speaking of different bars, uh, were there bands that you thought of as hey, somebody listening to this other band might like Therapy, so maybe I should recommend Therapy to them? Uh, you know, a band that that I kept thinking of, which is funny now that I know where they're from. A band I kept thinking of was Biffy Clyro, and it, and I don't know why. Something about the, um, you know, they're a three-piece. I think they're Irish. They're they got this weird mix of like really good songwriting, but like sometimes folky, sometimes metal, sometimes like they have a wide range of stuff that they can do. Um, always high energy, um, really productive lyrics. So there were some elements of like the spirit of that band kept rem- this band kept reminding me of like if this I, I, it makes me want to really dig into their newer stuff because i'm wondering if that's kind of um more of a direction that they've sort of landed in um you know they, they they'll mix in cello or strings or you know other dramatic elements like that to uh you know help build up songs and stuff so that was a band that and i know they're much bigger in europe than they are here but that was a band that uh in a strange way kept coming up to me a band that in terms of vocal personality that and somewhat musically but vocal personality that this band reminded me of is Danko Jones. Hmm. They have that energy to them. Yeah. They have that concise 
three to four minute long hard rock with a little bit of metal, some punk. I know that they're drawing from a slightly different angle, I guess you'd say, but they have that like, and they're, they're drawing from, I guess you'd say like the more rock end of it. I, I think of mm-hmm. Kiss a lot when I think of Danko Jones, um, yep. just in terms of singing about rock and roll so much um, yep. and women and the two combined. <laughs> um, but in terms of like having a personality to, to the vocalist, that band reminded me a lot of Andy Carnes and what he's doing uh, vocally. So that was one. I think if you, you know, I haven't, like I said, I haven't listened to the other stuff so or intently. So I don't know if there's some current metal bands that people might be interested in. I think that like, you know, we mentioned, whenever we mention metal bands currently, we mentioned like Mastodon or Baroness. I don't think that those people are necessarily going to be interested no. in this because I think this comes from a much too that's this is too punk for that side of it no I mean this this band sometimes they sound like ministry almost like with the really mm-hmm. kind of a, the, the the guitar tones and the just very uh, precise almost mechanical riff you know I, obviously they get into melodies and things which are thank god but uh, there's moments where if you played snippets of this you would think it might be a ministry song or something so yeah yeah, that's not Baroness or any of those bands. No, I, I agree with you on that one. That's a good call. Well, if you think we made the right decision on this album, uh, feel free to leave us some feedback over at iTunes. Drop us a few words of encouragement or you know, star us, whatever. We really appreciate your feedback on that. And if you, like Andrew, would like to suggest an album, feel free to shoot us an email at digmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. I hate saying at digmeout because then it sounds like it's the website, but Twitter. Yeah. Or at digmeoutpodcast, which is our Twitter feed. <laughs> Whatever. I'm going to edit all that out. So, any last words, Jay? I don't think so. All right, good. I'm glad. I don't like your last words. That's it, so, folks. You're so mean tonight. God. I know. I'm, I'm feeling I've got a feisty so attitude. Up. All right. I'm going to get a glass of wine and mellow out. Thank uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening. Hey.